You're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at kkup.org, where we stream live all the time. Uh, It's Wednesday night, and it's 8 o'clock, so you're listening to Poetry Radio with Rochelle Escamilla, a.k.a. Poetita. I've got Asha in the house tonight. Asha, let's check your mic. Check, check. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I'm going to start off the night with some music, though, and then we'll get right back into poetry. So tonight, I'm going to be playing songs from the album Bajo el Mismo Cielo. The artist is La Dame Blanche. And this first song is called Olvidate. So here we go. Salimos a la calle, la lluvia nos complace, corrimos para ver qué nos trae. Tal vez nos trae suerte, alivio a los pesares, o tal vez simplemente se pare. Salimos descubiertos, con los brazos abiertos, dejándonos llevar por el viento. Prejuicio se ha quedado dormido con pretexto. Deseo nos sorprendió diciendo: Olvídate que el mundo existe. Sí, la gana Y 
So you're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area, and Beyond the Bay at kkup.org, where we stream live all the time. I've got Asha Poet in the house tonight. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, so I'm going to read your bio. It's a long bio, but yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> It's okay. We have time. I've done things. (laughs) You've done lots of things. Amazing things. Um, So Asha is an artist, educator, and revolutionary. Uh, You're originally from LA and are currently an eighth grade teacher here in San Jose. Uh, You're an international poet striving to use art and uh, use art to create radical change. You've been featured on the cover of Content Magazine, is a feature at many of the prominent poetry readings in the uh, Bay Area, as well as an active speaker, MC, and performer at numerous rallies and marches for civil and human rights. Uh, you were the focus of a recent short documentary by KQED Arts. How was that? <laughs> Shout out to Mary. I love you, Mary. Thank you for that. Dang. Uh, goals. <laughs> She was given, uh, Asha, you were given the uh, Hank Hutchins Award by the Santa Clara County Alliance of Black Educators for supporting and advocating for black youth. Uh, You're actively training educators across California in equitable practices and building student agency, which is so important and something that not everyone thinks about. Um, and you're certified as a facilitator through teaching tolerance. And your dream is to establish your own K through 12 school rooted in restorative justice and social justice based standards. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, I've been doing this show for a while and I've heard your name all over the place. And I was like, God, I got to get. But then it never. And then I hit you up. Was a Monday? Yeah, Monday. <laughs> it just be like that. Like Tongo brings people together. Yeah, I didn't even know Tongo was reading in Santa Cruz, and I saw it, and I was like, Tongo's reading in Santa Cruz. So I, I hopped on over, and then you were up there, and I, I oh, man, just amazing work. You do amazing uh, thank work. You. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Um, So why don't you start us off with a poem? Okay, cool. All right. The biggest tattoo I have is a cliche cry to be recognized for my ethnic identity of being South Asian. Only... Realistically distancing myself from the community and pushing myself closer towards cultural appropriation, Ganesh is easily the most co-opted god of the 330 million in my religion. Aesthetically exploited, like white folks wearing saris, not sari, like Mm. (laughs) Aryan invaders stealing irrigation systems, like British imperialists stealing saris, bringing it back to their community, Columbusing its discovery, like... The way we treat African history in K-12 schools. See, every time another Om tattoo or yoga mat purchase produces another Deepak Chopra fan, Uncle Tom Sambo of Indians, Mm. I squirm. Because I know my mixed ethnicity creates an ambiguity that places me into the same box as folks having henna birthday parties because it just looks so cool. All right, I get it. If the Ganesh tattoo doesn't work, there has to be some other way of ethnic declaration. I know it sounds insane, but if I hear you're so exotic. (laughs) Or, Mm -hmm. you're Indian, but you don't look it at all. Or, "Ah, you're mixed though, right? Someone's going to get a high five to the face. The social (laughs) construct of race is exactly that. 
me having to rely on the stupidity of others to assume my subjugation of grouping. The mm. grueling conversations I'm beginning to be unwilling to have continue to force me to tag my body with cultural graffiti. Mm. Proud declarations of low-caste, imperialist-inflicted, bracero-like workers imported mm. from so-called slums mm. and forced to work like a dog while mm. the British became millionaires in East Africa and all over the world. Mm. Ethnic belonging has only ever belonged to me when I'm surrounded by my family. <laughs> that is, unless they start speaking Gujarati, because then again, I'm somehow ousted as being incomplete, and no amount of community college class can teach me the complexity of a language forced to be built with Urdu, Gujarati, and Swahili. No, Rosetta Stone can sense the hostility between the local and imported community. Claiming my identity is a compilation of complexities I'm yet to uncover. Constantly seeking validation from my own mother, <laughs> my own blood. Approval from an intangible anchor of ancestral expectation modeled in disbelief and doubt to preserve the exiled culture. Labeling my minority has never fit a mold. Maps inked out all over my body and pleased to be accepted, mm. honored, valued, found. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Man, um, why do you gotta why do you gotta touch me like that? This is so like an intimate <laughs> setting, you know? It's just like you, me, we got these mics. Like, man, this is cool. I like yeah, this. Yeah, it's chill. Yeah. Uh, you know, I do this uh quite often actually. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it is it is really amazing. Um and just before we continue the show, I have to I have to read a disclaimer. <laughs> So, the views and opinion expressed on this program <laughs> or on this station do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the staff and management of KKUP. All right, I'm covered. It's because they my views. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell me about, so, tell me about the work you do um, with restorative justice. Um, you know, I teach at CSU Monterey Bay, and um, I'm always uh, throwing my freshmen, I'm, I'm throwing at them uh, uh, Angela Davis immediately right off the bat. We're talking about the yeah. prison industrial complex yeah. and trying to break it down. And Word. my freshmen are like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but one of the things about that conversation that I rarely get to by the end of the semester is restorative justice. Like, what are the solutions to yeah. this prison industrial prons- you know, thing that's happening? So that's sort of something you're working with. So tell me about it. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, I think that I think that for a lot of folks, um, their conception of when you say the term restorative justice is mm-hmm. wrong. So mm-hmm. foundationally, um, I think that they think that this is a step program, a manual, a fix-all. Mm-hmm. Um, restorative justice is an ideology. Okay, right? it's a paradigm shift. Okay, um, restorative justice. Uh, is this is this button made mm. by my homie El Siete that I'm wearing right now? It's Kendrick Lamar holding a, a copy of Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Okay, right nice. by Paulo yeah. Freire. So it's this it's this idea, right, that that we have to move away from what we're doing, and and you know it comes from reducing recidivism rates, right, right. in the prison industrial complex. And I think that all too often when we talk about restorative justice in education, somehow they remove that part of history, the connection yeah. to, to history. And, and 
and specifically within prisons mm. and then understanding that school to prison pipeline and that restorative justice is that thing that is supposed to shift us away from that path that we've been walking <clears> down <throat> basically feeding these kids into um right the you know justice system and so for me what that looks like uh at the, at the public you know middle school level um is is just having that foundational conversation first Right. It's like, I need y'all to understand that this is, we got to change everything. Right. We can't just run circles. That's right. not what, that's a, that's a restorative practice. Right. And we can do restorative things, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that we're going to correct an injustice that has been happening for centuries. Right. So it's challenging. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it starts with just that foundational conversation. And then a lot of teachers are like, yikes, I don't want to do that. Never mind. Yeah, because I it's want consequences and I want to and I don't want that kid in my classroom when they're bugging out. And instead of kind of asking myself, why are they bugging out? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or is there something I'm doing that's potentially triggering a student to mm -hmm. bug out mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. all too often, you know, quick to suspend. Um, yeah, even though statistics and studies have shown for years that this is not something that works, it that corrects work. or changes anything. Um, Jeff Duncan Andrade said something that was very powerful to me, um, and uh, he said essentially that, you know, if we consider the word discipline, uh, when we think of it as like a martial art or a topic that you study in college, <clears throat> it's a learned and a practiced trait. Mm -hmm. But then when we talk about education and we hear the word discipline, it's a consequence as a result mm. of behavior. I see. And it was problematic for me to just even break down that framework of how we view discipline right so if a kid mm -hmm. can't read and they come to school not being able to read we don't send them home and expect them to come back reading the next day so if a student is misbehaving or not following a certain social contract that a, a setting has has required mm -hmm. well, we can't just simply remove a student from that and, and assume that that it doesn't help anything right so a lot of it is just that conversation and honestly unfortunately sadly after that conversation happens a lot of folks are like yeah i don't know though yeah, because they can't, because discipline and sort of strictness and removal of people from a social situation and uh, punishing people physically, emotionally, um, in all of the ways that we punish people, that's so cultural. That's as American as apple pie. Like, that's why it's wild, right? So it's so deeply ingrained in us. Mm. is that's what restorative justice is mm. is that's for it's restorative justice is forgiveness mm. restorative justice is empathy and love mm -hmm. that's that's what the the root of it is mm -hmm. um so it's so it's strange to navigate that within a system that you know is complacent in feeding literal children to a, a prison industrial complex right it's crazy right yeah right no, I mean, it makes me think about the work that I did um, a while back. I was uh, teaching poetry in the juvenile hall out in Hollister. And uh, one of the grants that I got, the, the goal of the grant was to re reduce recidivism and be able to sort of quantify that, right? Mm -hmm. And it was really hard to do it because the money would come in and out and I do the program here and there, but it wasn't enough. Um, and a couple of years later, I ran into someone who was my student in ju the juvenile hall. And he said, he was like, I wrote my first poem in that class mm -hmm. and I and I learned about poetry and uh, I'm, I'm going to community college yeah. now. But yeah. like... <laughs> That's beautiful. Right? Yes. I know. I know. I know. And But it also makes me think about 
what those kinds of teaching moments can do for people. And we don't even know it. We don't even know yeah. that we're doing those things when they're happening. Yeah. So that's, that's that's kind of the funny thing is like, right? Like before it was buzzword, before mm. it was something that was, uh, yeah, widely discussed and there were conferences on it. You know, when I started to learn about what specific restorative practices there are, I've been like, man, I've been, we've been doing this. These mm. are ancestral practices. Mm. They just named it. They put a definition on it, put it in Webster. Ah. But for me, like, these are things that are, and we can talk about the term restorative justice that comes from the prisons. And we, we need mm. to give honor where honors due. Mm -hmm. But the practices, mm. oh, those are ancestral they are circles yeah circles is indigenous man uh -huh. like you know what i'm saying so mm -hmm. for for a lot of folks when i started to learn what the practices were that kind of checked me a little bit and i was like okay yeah the shift is not too hard but mm. i can see where in society the shift is going to be extremely difficult well i mean i mean if you think about just uh the family table for me i'm latina Ch chicana like for us whenever things go down people go around the family table mm. in a circle right mm. and we talk and we eat and we figure things out and and you have ways to discuss that as a family and how to solve those issues and if one person in the family is not doing well then the whole family isn't doing well mm. and that's one of the things that that has been um, a struggle for me I'm my my husband I love him I love you but you're white <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the the practice of those kinds of yeah. like indigenous as you're saying indigenous yeah. practices don't are are not always part of his wheelhouse mm. and so it's sort of this thing that I'm always struggling with and so I mean that's just a microcosm of the representation of the bigger problem which is that like if discipline and all this stuff is culturally American, then what restorative justice is asking us to do is to just go back to our roots and solve the problems. Yeah. Dang. Maybe maybe Marcus Garvey had it right. It's mm. weird. It's I, I don't know. It's crazy. Mm. Like I, I came into the profession of education, man, big eyed. <laughs> no, like really I, Me I, too. I, knew, like, I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> yeah, don't get me yeah, wrong, yeah, I wasn't naive yeah. about it. Right, right. right. Um I can't came in ready mm. but dog, i'm telling you there i have to step back and ask myself why all my allies um are gone mm. yeah and, and 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 you know mama angelou told told us to pay attention to to people when they show us who they are the first time mm. and i think i got carried away in believing and and, mm. and thinking that the things could shift and and I don't want to come off as pessimistic mm -hmm. but it's no. really difficult not to yes uh, in the system yes so one thing that's given me a little bit of of hope and glimmer is as I've been fortunate enough to also teach within the um master's program at uh University of San Francisco in the mm -hmm. credentialing program mm -hmm. and so having the opportunity to teach folks who um are going to you know, potentially be in front of 150, you know, students a day mm -hmm. um, and sort of I mean, get them young, indoctrinate them, <laughs> yeah, to, get, you get, know, them, get them on board, yeah, you know, get, get them, on them board. to drink the juice, you know, yeah, Cause, absolutely. Cause it's not, I'm not doing this and I'm not a teacher 
to be neutral. No, <laughs> me neither. Me neither. Absolutely. And I, it's like not a political is, is everything is political. Well, everything's political anyway in the conversation in the United States. But first of all, first of all, but but yeah, I mean, I feel the same thing. I mean, uh, you know, some people would say to me, why would you give Angela Davis to freshmen in a speech class? And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you? Because yeah. they yeah. hadn't seen it yet. And they, they needed to because <laughs> they should have seen it before, but they haven't. And they haven't. Yeah. yeah. And they have no clue. Yeah. And uh, and and it's funny that once you get once once I start talking to the freshmen about you know what the prison industrial complex looks like and what the sort of larger scale of systematic oppression looks like on a global scale and and Angela Davis does all that work in her book um, the students can't unsee it right they can't unsee they could deny it's it truth. They could, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I could be ignorant of something, right? <laughs> I could know something's going to happen, but just still just be in denial. Mm-hmm. Right? But, but that's, and that's the thing about good teachers is good teachers just provide truth. Mm. Real truth. Mm. Authentic truth. In the best ways that we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's cool. I, uh, teaching is, um, it's, it's something that has given, because I, I, I did the activist thing a little bit. Mm kind of dabbled but press releases and knocking on doors it's Mm. cool and I have so much love and admiration and respect for everybody that's doing that but Mm. I I know my purpose is with these youth Mm. like we all have a purpose yeah mine is unequivocally with these children yeah um and I I feel I feel that wholeheartedly and they become the army later oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. they're all rocking my merch shout out to all my squad if you listening (laughs) Peter I told you you get a personal one hi Peter I love you (laughs) yeah my 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 students too you know I mean I I feel the same way I mean I I worked uh boots on the ground uh, knocking on doors for a while and and I was like, yeah, this is this is all right, but this is not. This is I, for for me, it wasn't wide enough reaching. Yeah. And the students, we've got an audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm still a performer. <laughs> yeah. Really? Like, that, my that, kids will tell you, like, I am performing every day. Oh, me like, too. I animated. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> me too. It gets me in trouble sometimes. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Speaking, speaking of performance, can you do another poem? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I'm gonna do this one for. Since we're talking about the youth, um, just shouts to, like I said, if anybody squad is listening, um, especially my women of color, um, everybody, yeah, it's for you. Baby hairs. Instructed to be trained, taught to lie flat, taught to forget the past. Ancestral stories long forgotten. Like Peter Pan refusing to grow up, baby hairs remain in infancy. Terrified of society's products designed to make its visibilities reduced to tired long days and excuses for being angry. I used to stare into the mirror. Plucking each one that refused to comply, rejecting the expectations I tried to impose upon its genetics. They just didn't get it. The remarks, the microaggressions, the miseducations I received growing up in neighborhoods and ideologies that told me I needed to normalize kink and avoid natural curl that you labeled distorted. Mm. Mm. Sitting for hours, asking for help, because self-hate manifested its means into heating irons, frying strands of hair, begging them to assimilate. Straightening the wave of discrimination, 
masking my identity to prove a space worthy of being given attention and given attention I was. Convinced that kinks in my hair compressed the ability for others to see my value. <laughs> Deciding to commit to chemically coercing every strand of ethnicity and ancestry to become dormant, only to erupt after several months as a recidivist, I killed my zombie-like identity time after time as soon as I felt my social confidence slipping. <laughs> I was tripping. Falling for romanticized fantasy that if I just looked more like them, I would finally feel like I belong. Mm. I was wrong. Masks only delayed, derailed conversations, exposing ignorance and ultimate exclusion, proving to me that India Ari was the gospel. While I am not my hair, my hair is me. Every knot entangled, every split end confused at which direction to follow, at every road diverged, I have learned to love it all. Summertime sunshine highlights, conversations with ancestors through coconut oil meditations, flowing long braids reminiscing on the strength passed down diasporic journey held together through exile, and holocaust, and excommunication, and honesty, and discovery of not going down predetermined paths. I am not my hair, but I am proud to say my hair is me. Thank you so much. <clears throat> KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM is non-commercial radio staffed completely by volunteers and supported 100% by our listeners. We have provided an alternate source for music and information not readily available on other stations for over 40 years. By maintaining a separation from corporate backing, underwriting, or any other sources of funding that might place demands on our programming, we're free to entertain and educate the listening community in a unique way. Every day we offer music ranging from comical to classical, reggae to barbershop, new age to oldies, and not to mention this amazing poetry radio show. Uh, so if you find this station worth supporting, please become a member. You can do that online or you can give me a call here at the studio at 408-260-2999 or um, the 831 number, which I can't see because it's being blocked by a chair, but that's okay. <laughs> you think I'd know it doing this for five years. Yes, thank you. Got you. <laughs> the 831 number is 831-480-1999. I'm going to play some music and then we're going to be right back with Asha. So here we go. This is some more La Dame Blanche. And this song is the title song of the album, which is Bajo el Mismo Cielo. So here we go. Siéntate a mi vera, escucha mi lamento En esta melodía yo voy a expresar todo mi sentimiento Está siempre a tu lado, cogido de la mano y eso es lo que quiero Bajo la misma luna, bajo el mismo sol, bajo el mismo cielo Forma parte del juego, el mundo es pequeño como un pa 
en su química Rompiendo, rompiendo la física Van a hablar de política Si estos perros ya no aceptan una crítica Afrodisiaca El olvido es un pretexto de distancia, no Hay una punta de pan, agua y dominó Bajo el mismo cielo, justo y pecador Afrodisiaca hay palabras que defina todo el amor que se te tiene Dios mediante provocante sirviéndonos de testigo Bajo el mismo cielo Hay una y es para que gana A la buena, buena A la mala, mala A la buena, buena A la buena, buena A la mala, mala A la mala, mala Junta de pan, agua y dominó Bajo el mismo cielo Justo y pecador Afro. A la buena, buena A la buena, buena Hay palabras que defina Todo el amor que se te tiene Dios mediante provocante Sirviéndonos de testigo Bajo el mismo cielo This is Out of Our Minds on KKUP, the longest-running poetry radio show in the United States. I'm your host, Rochelle Escamilla, a.k.a. Poetita, and I'm here with Asha. Uh, Asha is a artist, educator, educator, and revolutionary in the area, and I'm so glad to have you here. And will you read some more poetry yeah, for I'd me? I'd love to. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome. For sure. Um, so this is, I, I describe this poem as, um, the single, um, to my, my first publication, uh, called Crawling in My Skin. Mm. Um, and so like if, you know, everything is music to me. So if the book were an album, uh, mm. this would be the single. Right? Nice. Yeah. The ants are back. And just like the last month and the month before that and the year before that, after another month-long war, I think I could speak ant. <laughs> Understand the inner workings and deepest thoughts. And through extensive field work, they've told me they just want to be remembered. Acknowledged and not neglected, they said. Structurally claim-driven mindsets oppose conditions of being limitless and kind of like this infestation of the subconscious, these war-driven cries and erected 
tyrant-driven monuments echo action of removing indigenous relics of time before darkness. This realization triggers consciousness trying to avoid id and I am the ego-driven colonizer suppressing the reclamation of space and pleas for recognition. These ants speak a language my body knows too well but refuses to acknowledge. I am the dictator trying to erase presence, their trail in paper towel mass graves like ants trapped in Baidai sometimes bury traces of disease and eased over formalities and leave the effects lingering long after so as to deter it from returning. But since inception, it's always been here. Exacerbation knowingly tempting each step to veer off permitted paths. The undying resiliency of ants to reveal their presence even amidst the most pristine, the most perfect, the most desirable spaces hold truth that even those that are supposed to be without flaw have cracks tiny enough to seep in mm. to show there's no place impenetrable from the mind mm. these ants have taught me acceptance of this structural manifestation destines me to forever be in denial it might be cleared out of one space but it's simply forced to move on to the next the reservation this system these ants rely on mirrors the systematic depression that plagues the mind like systematic oppression plagues society mm. Hiding in crevices too small to notice until too late. Trap houses comfort of familiarity. Poison passed on to each ant in passing, slowly disseminated throughout a colony. This chemical warfare destroying evidence of whatever or whoever occupied this land before. Mm. My cells know this language these ants speak. Mm. They are familiar with being ignored. Mm and being forced out, and being repressed. These week-long battles are a reflection of my weak, lifelong battle traveling through life trying to suppress chronic infestation. Survival sometimes means to simply survive. <laughs> but like resistance of indigenous tribes demanding a voice and insects powerful enough to stage hostile takeovers for being ignored, far past comfort, contort conceptions of self-safety and community, sometimes simple recognition goes a long way. Yeah. Well, I've heard what they have to say. And I might give up and just let the ants win. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> I was thinking about the two poems that you just read and how they're connected. Like, I was sort of thinking about my mom when you're talking about hair. Mm. Uh, people on the radio, you can't see my hair, but it's pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom, my mom never let me straighten it when I was when I wanted to in the '90s uh. when everyone had the Friends Rachel yeah. Rachel from Friends hairdo. Yeah, she wouldn't let me straighten it. She was like, "No, you're not straightening your hair," and I hated her for it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she kept telling me, "She's like, you're gonna regret straightening your hair someday, mm -hmm. so you can't do it." Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the last, like, five years of my life that I realized what she was doing to me. She was just trying to get me to see who I was yeah. and be okay with that. Yeah. And how that's related to systematic oppression. Something as simple as straightening our hair is a pressure from the outside system to yes. make us change to be something else yeah. that we're not. Yeah, I like, I legitimately, I did the like Japanese chemical hair straight. <laughs> Mom, I know you listening. I love you for doing that. That was wild though. We should not have done that. 
<laughs> but, but that was like but that li- right but that was like that was just like that's like immigrant mom love trying to give yeah. their baby what they can Whatever. and my mom and i have different textured hair mm-hmm. i i she doesn't have the kink and curl that i have mm-hmm. hers is just we, we both she have the concerned. thickness but it was straight so she was like man how can i how can i help my daughter right like feel more like herself and it did it gave me it gave me a new kind of chapter in my life it was this hip cool thing right mm-hmm, like i tried this mm-hmm, thing out and mm-hmm. it was great and i loved it because it, it it was so annoying i'd have to keep redoing it after months <laughs> right and like and it was a long process my hair is so thick it takes forever right. to do it and um and then one day our our neighbor was just like you know it's 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 time to chop off this straight stuff and and let mm. your hair grow mm. you know and and just really kind of do it and and um you know my mom wasn't resistant she's always been the person that was like try oh. go try stuff see like all right like <laughs> you go ahead live your life but know Dang. that there are consequences <laughs> know that know that i have expectations and if you miss on any of those expectations we can have a conversation uh-huh. you know um but but that was you know because of her experience growing up and everything like she was real into like we gonna live this free American life. Yeah. You know, I've we've worked I've worked generations right. to get here right, right now, right? And so yeah, let's go straighten our hair. Let's yeah. let's right, let's do yeah. it. And and it was cool for a minute. Like I said, it gave me a fresh vibe and confidence. Um and more than anything, it, it taught me to love the hair that, that she gave me that I already had, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean our parents do I mean I you know, now I'm a mom, so I'm always thinking about all the things I'm doing to mess up my daughter, but like <laughs> <laughs> our parents do what they do because of the traumas and the things that they're going through themselves. A million percent. And they don't know any better, right? No. The the beautiful thing though, I think is when um and man, mom, you're just going to get all the shout outs right now <laughs> is when is when folks are are willing to talk about that. Mm. To have that con- like this is how this is how I was raised. This is what I know. Yeah. Um I understand that that's not how the world is now like let's let's talk about how we can find a space where both of us can be comfortable both of us can feel safe and yeah. and and you know be relaxed yeah. and and that's something that i just really love um about my mom is that she's so willing to be like yeah yeah there's trauma <laughs> we got trauma <laughs> like there's so much that's happened in my family history but man like let's grow yeah and and that's cool no, it is. It, yeah. It's super cool. My, um, you know, I, I don't think my mom listens to the radio show because I'm on all the time, so I can say lots of things without getting in trouble. Uh, but, but you know, my mom, you know, she was she was a campesino. Like she grew up in the fields, yeah. like, and she grew up trying to do whatever it was that she needed to do to get right. She had me when she was 17, so she she was a teen mom. But um, I think. The difference between your mom and my mom is my mom tried to stop me from doing everything, which yeah. then turned out to yeah, you were going to do all the things anyways, right? <laughs> Jumping fences in mini skirts to meet boyfriends around Big the yikes. corner. <laughs> Big yikes! Okay, shaving, and listen, shaving all my hair off because she wouldn't let me straighten it. <laughs> and listen, I have to do this because otherwise it's, it's going to be problems. But my my the thickness of my hair comes from my mother. But the curls come from my father's side. <laughs> I had to do it. This is gonna be problems later. <laughs> you know, but I think I think the, the the dope thing about that, right, is regardless of the approaches um, of your mom versus my mom, 
right? Mm. Um, is is there was just this moment of, uh, and, and I don't know, you know, like for, for my mom, she wasn't born in America, right? So she came here and then she's, she came here when she was 17, coming wow. up on her own. Um, and then, and then with my father and everything. And, um, and so she's just trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, mom's just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And, and I think the cool thing is like, sitting back now like i don't know if y'all have funny conversations about like <laughs> yeah, old stuff that happened back before you're yeah. like you know that one time <laughs> yeah my mom gives me a look like i don't want to talk about that right now right <laughs> right oh, it's good it's all no. good it's growth it's healing it's, it's healing that generational of, trauma it's some kind of it's some kind of thing no no it's funny because i i i really hope my mom doesn't listen to, to the show <laughs> Like my mom doesn't doesn't know as much as my godmother. My my godmother and my mom have been friends since they were twelve oh, here down in yeah. Hollister, and so my godmother will take me aside and be like, "What's going on in your life right now that you can't tell your mom about?" <laughs> and my mom's like, "I don't want to hear about it. Oh, I don't want to hear about it." But it's like a code. But anyway, yeah, dude, moms are great. Moms, moms are, are great. great. Yeah, we're really lucky to have good moms. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about one? How about another poem or shout outs to your students? How about <laughs> man, my students? I really love them though. Listen, they are like, they are the reason why I, I come to work. Yeah. Like I agree. Like I, agree. I when I don't want to go to work, they're the reason why I still go to work. Mm. I, I love my students so 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 much. Um, but no, nah, they don't get no specialized shout outs. They're not that like, no, nah, it's not like that. What I am going to do, though, um, she'll probably cringe a little bit, uh, but I, I'm going to do the piece about my mom. All right. Yeah. She was the patriarchy of a male driven society founded on the silence of matriarchy. Hier hierarchies of power grounded in histories of the same old story. Time after time, professing, pleading, policing the absence of her voice. Although those feelings and emotions still raged inside of her, yet she still knew her role and quietly pressed mute. The jungles of Africa were loud enough to drown out the hypocrisy of her future. Obediently, she rolled the wave of culture and tradition, never missing a step, knowing a simple mistake could lead to inevitable demise. Hmm. Political climate and hostile imperialism corrupted the minds of those wanting more and a second chance. To feel free at last, only leading to last resorts of desperation, of indoctrination, intoxication of a narrative believed to be true. This belief became barbaric beyond constraint. Hundreds of thousands slaughtered in Idi Amin's name. Exiled from their only known home like the thousands of undocumented youth deported every year uprooted and undone. Mm -mm. At 13, she became the only one who could communicate and navigate the necessary steps to allow her family freedom from refugee camps. Relocated to the hood and taught her family how to wear the mask. Never had the opportunity to relax, constantly stressed, always thinking about everyone else, mm. and then her last. Mm. I mean, if she even ever got the chance, because as soon as she would take a breath and sit down, she would have to stand up again. At 17, forced to start a new life, forced to pretend, forced to find new ways of silencing her voice in marriage to a stranger's hand. Mm. But the words couldn't hold back any longer. The abuse and mistreatment managed to give her the strength of thousands of women who remain voiceless. Mm. 
excommunicated communications limited to all those who could never understand. This woman stands as one who was never phased by the fans. Helped everyone else without ever giving any demands. So much love and forgiveness. When they said you're dead to us, she said, I'll give you a second chance. Mm. I love you, Mom. Mm. Dang. It's amazing the work of the mothers. It's amazing their yeah. work. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing. Um, uh, you've been doing a podcast uh, called Poets of Color, right? Yeah, with Poets of Color podcast with my homie El Siete. Yeah, tell yeah. me about that project. Um, conceptually, it was his idea. It came birthed out of a project that he uh, started initially in Santa Cruz mm. um, with another homie. And, you know, uh, we... <laughs> Me, me and El Siete have the gift of gab with each other. We, mm, <laughs> we kind of mm. just, yeah, we squawk. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, he approached me, um, and I was very great, grateful and gracious of it. Um, I have a background in sound engineering and, and music, stuff like that, production. Um, so as far as uh, how to record, how to, you know, get it from a, a piece of recording to a finished product, things like that. That was all very easy to me, came nice. naturally to me. Um, and he is phenomenal, um, uh, graphic artist, uh, and, photographer um, too, photographer, social media. He, he does very well on those things. And mm-hmm. so kind of fell into nice little roles there. Mm-hmm. And then it was just about having people come over to my house. Yeah. We in the beginning we used to have little cookouts downstairs nice. and a bunch of people would come over and there'd be a little barbecue and then we'd go upstairs and record a quick little session and then go downstairs and then mm-hmm. pull somebody else and go upstairs and nice, record. Nice. And that got like those days turned long. Those are long. <laughs> yeah. So we had to separate our, 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 our play and our work, right? Yeah. So um but still uh um, you know, hiatus because life. First of well, all, well, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we're very, very proud of of what we've produced so far, though, and that's that's awesome. Um, but yeah, folks, they come over to the house, uh, hang out with me and our our funder um, and manager, my pitbull Coltrane. Mm-hmm. Um, we all just hang out, record, spit some poetry. It's it's really a space where there's been a lot of times where we find a caucasity mm. in front of us, right? The mm. audacity of whiteness mm-hmm. right? at, at poetry mm-hmm. events, people mm. telling us, oh, we should have spit something differently mm. or we shouldn't mm. have done that or something. Or do you think spoken or... word is actually poetry? Mm. <laughs> so like, man, we were like, we need a space where we need to not have to explain any of that. Yes. Where we can still critique anti-blackness within yeah. Asian and brown cultures, yes. where we can still you know have a real conversation Mm -hmm. but we just we we needed to have a moment where we could create a safe space and exclude some voice so that Mm -hmm. we could create some better space no for sure i mean that's one of the things that's the hardest thing about uh sort of working for me for a long time i I talked about it with you in the beginning that like i was tokenized a lot in in the beginning of my poetry career and i just i i it, now I think, gosh, why didn't you look around you and see that like you were the only poet of color, color on the list, and why didn't you recognize that this was happening? But it it didn't happen until like there was a shift, yeah. and all of a sudden I was like, I'm really tired yeah. of reading my mother and my grandmother's stories to people yeah. who 
Yeah. Houses I probably cleaned when I was six years old. Sometimes, like, I don't want to do the I'm brown and I want a revolution piece. Like, sometimes I just want to do, like, the, the sentimental love piece. Like, yeah. sometimes I just want to. But sometimes when I go into predominantly white spaces, there's a shift in my, like, internally where mm. I feel like I have to claim yes. a space because it, there's no representation of it. Like, there's a certain <laughs> sense of duty. And, I, and I, that's self-imposed. Of course. But... But strange how we all feel. If it's self-imposed for me individually, it's mm -hmm. strange how we all have felt that at some point. Have the same sentiments when we go into it. Oh, absolutely. And I would always like, I would always curate my my poetry set based on like what I thought the audience mm. could be comfortable with. Because mm. I was mm. just like, I don't want to. For me, it was yeah. like opposite. Like I was like, I'm trying to get somewhere in this poetry world, and I don't want to. I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable yeah. as opposed to you. I'm an agitator. Like no, a, well, I will literally I take a bullhorn and scream <laughs> at go watch my content uh, pickup video that's on my Instagram or my website. I will take a bullhorn and scream at the people who are talking during my set. Um, I um, There's something wrong with me. I don't know. No, <laughs> it's just... no, no. I mean, in the beginning of my poetry career, I was I was just a little docile yeah. lamb. I was I was afraid to but mess it's it up. Scary, but you know what? I had, but now no. I had now. a lot of I had a lot of comfort in doing that because I was surrounded by squad and mm. community though. When mm. I was when I had that bullhorn in my hand, my people were in that crowd right. too. You feel right. me? So like, there's a little bit of comfort in knowing that you have people when you're alone. Yeah, like you ha it's that's that's dangerous. Yeah. You're surviving, right? Yep. So I ain't mad at it. No, no. It's just crazy how we go through those like those evolutions of finding ourselves in our voice. Absolutely. And then now, when I think about it, now when we were talking before, like I don't even have to ever be on a list of poet poetry like with anyone but people of color. Like, I can be on a list with everyone yeah. who's gente, like, yeah. at whenever I, once a month at least, yeah. Yeah. you know? Shout out to all the colors of, or people of color that are organizing. Oh, dang. Uh, there's Josiah so Luis the, the Bay is, is popping with events. MK Chavez. Yeah. Tongo. Um, there's so much going down. The Tree Spencer, like, it's, it's happening. Yeah, um, it is. I'm trying to bring it to Monterey, too, Salinas. We're trying to bring it to Old Capital Books. We're trying to bring it to the Salinas Center for Arts and Culture. I think just, I think just brown artists are tired. We're yeah. tired of playing a game that, yeah. isn't, that isn't meant for us. We, it's, it, we just, on some markets, like, we got to make it our own. We, yeah. we got to own it. We got to do it. We got to run it. We got to make it specifically for our community. Mm. Um, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I'm tired of having to have that conversation of just legitimizing why we need to do that. Yeah. It's 2020 and we still have all these problems that we got. Like, we need <laughs> yeah. nah, this for us. Yeah, yeah. And and the and the communities are strong and the communities are, oh, are communities vocal. are beautiful. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. You know how many beautiful people I like walk into a reading and I'm like, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's. You, I mean, you can feel it immediately. The vibe um, um, that we got right now is is strong. It's absolutely strong, and I'm really appreciative. And I'm so glad to have you here on the I'm show. So happy. Thank you so much, man. A uh, couple, maybe two more poems. Yeah. Cool. Down. Um, let's see. <clears throat> how about? Yeah, man, so many people are working in the Bay Area to get things done. They're just like... Yeah, there's a lot of movement happening. I'm really, really excited to see... Anything happening in San Jose that you know about? 
Um, I mean, you know what? I always tap into Debug. Shouts to Debug is just an organization that is constantly doing the most to help the community. Um, very, very much appreciated. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, they're big on anything happening at the Mexican Heritage Plaza always, too. All right. Yeah. She walked. Knowing they would question intentions, driven into mass distraction and deception. She walked, knowing they are terrified of her coming up on their heels, the feeling of knowing she has always had to run twice as fast, nevertheless, she persisted. Mm. She walked, knowing her body, her very existence is perceived as a threat, knowing that her indigenous skin has had to justify its claim to be deserving of a home. Colonized, displaced, but still rooted in ancestral soil. She spoke, knowing her place would never be handed to her, never given a seat at the table so she would have to make it, take it if she had to, but she wouldn't be silenced anymore. She spoke, knowing others would have to stop speaking for her, claiming stories instead of speaking truths, because since the youth, those in power have chosen to fabricate narratives and she's tired of seeing her community be erased before her eyes. Hmm. She spoke, knowing... So many have been silenced. A moment of silence. She is unapologetic, knowing the hair on her knuckles is ancestral gifted wisdom, not another reason to conform, not sorry for clapbacks because entitlements have allowed fingers to run through foreign hair without permission. Unapologetic. Disappointed but not surprised knowing in 2019 over 50 unarmed people were murdered by the police. Mm. That over 300 trans people were murdered in the streets. Mm. That white supremacy is on the rise from shadows behind familiar faces. She is unapologetic because she is tired of having to apologize. Yep. They are tired of having to apologize, they are unapologetic, uh, unapologetic knowing pronouns are trivial until mm. abusive. Mm. That a woman is not defined by genitalia. Mm. Unapologetic knowing that binaries are for the past and in order to preserve the future, dignity and humanity should not be treated as a privileged present. Compassion is not a gift nor can it be plagiarized. She knew even if she had to do it alone, she would. She would sing when others would say silence. Music of resiliency would find sanity and speak when she had no voice. Calling her to decide between justice and love, between any means necessary and complacency, but what the ignorant always fail to recognize is that the most romantic are always the most revolutionary. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm talking. It's all about love. Uh, it's all and about I'm not talking love. about ishy gushy stuff. I'm talking that bell hooks love. Yeah. You feel me? <laughs> yes. Yes. Now that makes me feel a little better about my uh, my my romant my my romantic side of poetry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's still revolution. Yeah, see? See, I'm but but truly true like like to really like speak on that for a second like 
Whereas, like, empathy is gone. Mm. Humanity is gone. Mm. It is truly revolutionary to do acts of love. Yeah. And I mean that in, like, no, a, I... in, not in, like, a, you know, like, 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 kind of figurative way. I mean, mm. like, we have to remember to keep love in the mix of things. Yep. And don't get me wrong, and don't get it twisted. I'm more Malcolm than Martin. <laughs> I'm not talking about, like, you yeah, know. Yeah, I know. I'm not talking about I peace, know. love, and happiness. I know. But but that real. But but that, that Malcolm comes Malcolm comes from a space of love. Yes. And if people really know Martin, they would know, they know that that's not that's too far not, off. Nope. But unfortunately, right, where this, the narrative of everything takes it. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. One more. All right. Mm-hmm. Got you. We're almost done. I got you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so I think uh, the 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 biggest thing that that I can say uh, for this is um, if you if you really know what you're talking about, like you you woke up at five in the morning and and watched those uh, those X Men cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Then you're really going to know this one. Uh, my brother, if you're still listening, <laughs> you're probably the only person in the world that knows all of these. Right. <laughs> Resilience of the mind is a superpower not to be overlooked. Internal capes reflect pseudonyms of the name given by my bloodline, but only hold ghostwriting positions because too often the situation simply renames me as the other. Mental convictions of strength rally voices in my corner despite the lack of physical presence. If it's strong enough, the, ar- the mind can replace an army, mm-hmm. arming me with the capacity to keep fighting on. As worlds often crumble around me, using words to crumble bits of consciousness on unrelenting souls who refuse to see the truth, well, I gain power, superpower, like Saiyans, like Wonder Women of Color, like Wakandan Dora Milaje protecting Black Panther, like Vibranium Shields to deflect idiocy, like Animantium Bones so they do not break when you throw your shade, like Gambit, I got tricks up my sleeve to defend against your ignorance. I got grace like the Phoenix. I got protective gloves so my consciousness doesn't go rogue. Power up mushrooms in the form of Kush Mountains, hiding away my fortress of solitude to find serenity. It takes a superpower to navigate this globe. Glowing moons of different phases only seem to label us as more and more as the mutant. And as this storm rages inside of me, sometimes my emotions turn me into this thing, this beast that I swear I'm not. But I'm beginning to accept its presence. It's simply a means of existence, survival depending on the ability to feel some sense of jubilee. It's a necessary superpower for convincing yourself that you belong. This colossus juggernaut of a world needs a strong mind. You can't rely on night-crawling abilities your whole life. Don't give in to the mystique that you have to live like Morlocks in the shadows. This world is yours. Believe in it as so. Because when the other folks push you down, it is a direct reflection of their lack of resilience, lack of confidence, finding balance between what unknown professors taught me about coexistence and nonviolence and the magnetic sensation I feel to just separate by any means necessary is a constant struggle. 
but equipped with the superpowers of resilience. I will keep calling for revolution even when the world tells me no, I will not listen. I will not give in to the conviction that I hold no power because even though my cape is hidden, my superhero status emblem is tattooed on my heart and I'm ready in a flash. Thank you for being on the show. Thank Asha. you so much. <laughs> I'm going to play Thank some music so out. Much. All right, I'll be back next month with more poetry. Here we go. Uh, La Dame Blanche. Listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM on your radio dial, KKUP.org streaming worldwide. This is Nightbird Susie here with you this evening. It's only a paper moon. <laughs>